Welcome to the discussion, Accelerating the Path to Digital Government, sponsored by SAIC and Microsoft. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Blake Nelson. He's the Vice President of Platforms and Cloud at SAIC, and Jason Payne, the Chief Technology Officer at Microsoft Federal. Good to have you both here. We are on the threshold of 2022, the year, if not the fiscal year, but at least the calendar year so far, hopefully we'll have a fiscal 2022. But as you look across the landscape of federal agencies, and they are moving to the cloud continuously, this is an effort now that is ongoing. What do you see as the main rationales, the main reasons, why are they doing cloud versus the way they were told to do it, say, 10 or 12 years ago when this whole movement got started? What's new here for 2022? Hey, Tom, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, a lot of federal agencies initially are looking at cost savings when they move to the cloud. And, you know, that, that's a big driver. But, you know, once they get to the cloud, uh, if, if, you know, depending on how they go or where their entry point is, whether they're doing cloud native development or they're doing lift and shift migrations, they realize there's, you know, the, the cost savings just from, from an infrastructure perspective uh, aren't the, the, the principal driver, right? The, the, really, the innovation becomes the driver, the speed to mission that they find when they get into, into cloud, such as Microsoft Azure, where they can, you know, that, that infrastructure cost, it may, may be a one-to-one -one relationship right away. They, they can use new services uh, that are coming from these cloud providers that help reduce that type of cost. But they, what they really start to see is those costs pale in comparison uh, to, to the speed that they can get uh, from these new services out of cloud providers like Microsoft, where they can get to their mission faster, where they can provide uh, these new services to uh, you know, the troops on the ground or to the citizen and, and get that information uh, out faster, get these applications up and running uh, you know, uh, at speed. That becomes the, the true driver, that flexibility and that innovation uh, is, is really what I see uh, after cost becomes the driver for them to move to the cloud. And Jason, there's a big emphasis on cybersecurity coming from mm -hmm. administration, from Congress, from pretty much events in the world itself, if truth be told. Is, is that also a, a growing as in importance as a driver? Yeah, absolutely, Tom. I, I think we look at um, you know cybersecurity as one of the great forcing functions of cloud adoption, particularly over the last 20 months or so. You know, Blake was talking about a lot of the innovation, the flexibility that cloud provides. But you know, in light of the cyber executive order. Um, you know, the, the increase in ransomware attacks that we've been seeing this year, you know, they're up over 50%. You know, I think really what we're hearing now is a narrative that, you know, modernization is the path to security. And there's no better path to modernization and that security than through the cloud, right? The, the speed and scale at which, you know, cloud service providers, you know, such as Microsoft secure those uh, cloud footprints and provide services for customers to build their applications and host their workloads on. The, the security aspect is really just a clear differentiator and, and great forcing function for cloud to, to reap the benefits of the platforms. And let's go more into that idea of speed because speed seems to go with the general idea of short sprints for development, rapid iterations of units of modernization and innovation as opposed to the old giant waterfall uh, grand design that agencies, well, frankly, some of them still struggle with it, but they're getting away from that. So maybe go into a little bit more detail on how speed is enhanced with cloud and how it complements other developmental efforts that are also faster than years past. Yeah, as the federal space adopts an agile mindset, um, you know, that, that speed in the cloud becomes a lot more valuable. And, you know, you, you see agencies, uh, 
looking at their data and, and they see all these new services and tools uh, within uh, the cloud, like Microsoft Azure around data and AI, for example, and they're going to be able to take that data uh, very quickly within a matter of hours, maybe days, uh, where it would take years before to do, to take that data, put it in a place, get it structured in a way that now you can get answers out of that data. For example, you can, you can put the new AI tools and the new machine learning concepts to, to that data and start to, to, to get pictures of your organization readiness uh, of your of your um, your sailors and your airmen and women for example and, and see how does that impact the, those organizations and uh, and then really make quick decisions on that and and the the the, the ability to get there takes, you know, sometimes, sometimes literally only hours where, you know, just five to 10 years ago, that would take weeks, even months. And that's not even, I'm not even talking about the ATO process to get some of that stuff, you know, ready to go. I'm talking, you know, that that's a whole nother uh, six to eight months away, but just to get that technology put in place uh, to, to point, you know, these new services and, and innovative tools out of like Azure uh, to your data, just for one, just to make one simple example, uh, takes minutes and, and hours now where it used to take weeks and months. And, that, and that's a huge differentiator uh, to, to the mission of the civilian and, and federal and defense agencies. And you mentioned ATO, and that's always a big stumbling block. In some cases, a big bugaboo for agencies that slows things down. But by having some kind of a certified process in the cloud, the ATO itself can also speed up, fair to say? I certainly think that's very fair, right? I, I think about the fact that, you know, the cloud being a uh, you know, a scalable software defined platform, which you can inspect, um, you can certify its compliance on a regular basis, you can audit it. You know, it really, what we've really seen at Microsoft is an ability for government agencies to use the cloud, both its baseline accreditations, whether you're talking things about, you know, FedRAMP or uh, DOD impact levels, and then building upon those as accelerators to get to an eventual ATO, and then using uh, the compliance tools within the cloud itself uh, to maintain those ATOs or to more quickly assume uh, the controls needed to, to, to gain them. And so I think the speed, both on what you can do from a data and analytics and a visualization point of view, you know, understanding how you can modernize your workloads, as well as, you know, effectively get them to production operations faster through the ATO process. Uh, it's, it's really two pillars of, of really speed levers that our customers can pull. All right. And I want to move on to this issue of data and performance because access, performance, it's all kind of interrelated. And in some sense, moving to the cloud, even if you're totally in the cloud or, or you maintain a hybrid environment and you have your own agency data centers where an application instance might reside and you have clouds, it still doesn't necessarily solve the distance, performance, caching, and whatever mm -hmm. other effects there might be on end user experience. And so you hear more and more agencies talking about the edge and bringing edge computing, old concept, but it's kind of getting into a new bottle too in the cold age, in the, uh, in the cloud age. So tell us about the cloud edge phenomenon. How is that taking shape technically? Yeah, I mean, it, that's one of the most interesting things around the cloud, right? I mean, you, I don't think you can personally get to the edge without being cloud native, number one, right? It takes um, having that agile cloud mindset to, to have a framework uh, to get out to that edge. In the defense world, it's the contested edge with, with zero or, or no comms. Uh, in, in a, in a uh, civilian world, uh, th think of um, uh, FEMA going out to a disaster recovery zone, right? And, you know, you can take these, these services and tool sets uh, from uh, Azure and, and put those on devices at the edge where they can do, you can push that compute 
and that storage out to uh, a soldier, an airman or women, you can uh, uh, take that compute and put it on a vehicle and have uh, th those uh, elements uh, built in the cloud in an agile mindset, put that out to the edge to do a lot of the things that you would ha have to do previously with, with lots of uh, you know, horsepower behind you, uh, either on-prem or from the cloud. And, and then taking those uh, you know, innovative networks like 5G, for example, mm -hmm. and helping them you know, bec become your backbone to, to transfer that data. But if you can take that compute and put it at the, uh, at the airman or woman's edge or on that FEMA, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, edge that the, the folks out there fighting those fires, uh, working those uh, disaster areas, and, and get that compute in that vehicle. Uh, that that takes a, uh, a, a gives everybody a, a huge edge to be able to to solve problems. And how does the uh, Kubernetes question and the containerization and the orchestration of all that play into this? Because I think we hear that too also as coming to the edge or as an edge enabler, Jason. <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, you know, technologies like containers and Kubernetes are, are an interesting implementation for how we're seeing customers take advantage of cloud technologies at the edge. You know, as, as Blake highlighted there, I think there's an inherent design and inherent need for compute capabilities to, you know, gracefully degrade, uh, you know, all the way from a hyperscale, hyperscale cloud like Azure all the way down to, you know, maybe a small form factor device that <laughs> someone might carry around in their, in their hand or in their backpack you know, depending on the mission need at hand. And when we think about containerization technologies and the way that we can build um, applications, uh, whether they be, you know, basic um, data entry applications that are necessary for, you know, field operations or whether they're a highly uh, advanced artificial intelligence algorithm or machine learning model that's trained on very, very large data sets in the cloud and then deployed as a container to some of these small form factor devices you know, the reality is, is that these are great portable technologies that we can use uh, to then scale those, those workloads all the way from the cloud to edge devices. And so it's a great way forward for agencies to both look at, you know, taking their workloads from an on-premises environment, uh, providing a layer of abstraction, you know, to, to have them be modernized both in the cloud and to edge devices. So here at, you know, at Microsoft, we look at that as kind of one of our our core strategies to really embrace our customers wherever they are as they deliver their mission around the globe, you know, and, and, and the last piece I'd maybe tack onto that is, you know, Blake mentioned some technologies like 5G. I think really what we see is, you know, when it comes to these edge devices and running these containerized application workloads, they need to be enabled uh, by global connectivity and whether that's through things like 5G or whether that's through, you know, satellite communications with technologies such as Azure Orbital, you know, this entire ecosystem of capabilities is really what makes uh, this work for, for government agencies. And something you said there made me ask this question. You can't really look at all edge workloads the same because they do range from low power, low mm -hmm. communications ability, low processing ability of uh, IOT types of devices. Mm -hmm. There are also agencies deploying small form factors, but extremely powerful and intensive compute capability at the edge. So you really have a range of edge phenomena that you need to deal with, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Everything from, you know, effectively uh, an IOT device all the way through, you know, what I would argue are semi-permanent, you know, pieces of cloud capacity um, effectively deployed at the edge. Right. And so everything uh, within that spectrum is, is within the bounds of what agencies are demanding and, and what they need for mission delivery. Yeah, and you think about it uh, right now. I mean, everybody walking around has their own personal area network. If you have a smartwatch and a phone on, right? And so you, you take that concept 
uh, uh, to to that, uh, that 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 FEMA worker or that soldier at the edge, right? And they're you're adding new capability, new workloads into that device to do AI ML to help process that data, right? And then bring that data back to to where it can can um, ha have more horsepower at, at, in the cloud, but also uh, do some good at the edge. Those are the things that these federal agencies are, are really trying to, to, to grasp. And you cannot do that without being in the cloud and having a cloud mindset. Yeah, so then a good approach then for designing cloud native, cloud first, if you will, applications is to maybe begin with performance in mind and then incorporate the edge as something you're going to have to have and just proceed that way rather than kind of finding, geez, we need edge here that we don't have. And then, then it gets more expensive and slower. Yeah, I think that's a fair description, you know, and, and one of the, the devils in the details there would really be around, you know, your data management strategy, right, as you were either collecting that data at the edge, and then what do you do with it, you know, really processing it and, and signaling some decision on that data is really the first step in the process, but there's an entire data lifecycle strategy that needs to occur after that. And so having that holistic mindset in mind uh, really gives you an opportunity to look at how to architect an application to take advantage of both edge capabilities you know, global communications, as well as hyperscale cloud capabilities. And then the demand curve that you're getting from users, you can manage dynamically, I suppose, at that point. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's a good note to take a break on. My guests today are Blake Nelson, the Vice President of Platforms and Cloud at SAIC, and Jason Payne, the Chief Technology Officer at Microsoft Federal. I'm Tom Temin. This discussion is Voices of Government IT, Accelerating the Path to Digital Government, sponsored by SAIC and Microsoft Federal here on Federal News Network. SAIC and Microsoft understand the challenges of cloud adoption. Whether it's making the right business case to acquire and contract for cloud services, understanding organizational change and retraining, to using governance best practices in a shared responsibility model. SAIC and Microsoft can help you migrate to the cloud confidently and securely using SAIC CloudSend. Mission-focused modernization at the edge with SAIC and Microsoft. Learn more at SAIC.com cloud. Welcome back to our discussion, Voices of Government IT, Accelerating the Path to Digital Government, sponsored by SAIC and Microsoft Federal here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Jason Payne, the Chief Technology Officer at Microsoft Federal, and Blake Nelson, the Vice President of Platforms and Cloud at SAIC. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And let's talk about a little bit of the organizational construct that you need in this new era of development of distributed applications of cloud first, and really, it's all about digital services and what it is you're actually offering both to your internal customers and especially important now to the citizens and taxpayers that are availing themselves of government services. So what, I mean, it used to be an IT thing. It's no longer an IT thing. Who do you need to be involved and what are some good ways to set it up so that the agency will have success and therefore the public will? Yeah, I, I think it's important to understand. I mean, I, I love the technology behind the cloud, but cloud is really ultimately a business model and you know a lot of agencies are adopting the the how around cloud adoption migrations and that, and that's a it's a fine way to start right i mean you got to have an, an entry point and i think the agencies are really learning now because migration and, and that cloud adoption is moving forward quickly but they're trying to go uh you know further along that cloud journey uh past the technology technology disruptor phase and really getting into that uh, enabler phase, the business outcome phase, 
and and, and hopefully, you know, in, in a year or two here to the business disruptor phase. I mean, and that's really where I think a lot of agencies are, you know, moving away from just cost as a as a factor to saying, how do I really enhance my mission and, and really change the way we do the business of the federal government, whatever agency that is. And that's the mindset I think a lot of folks are, for, are taking and a lot of the CIO leadership are really looking at multiple stakeholders within their agency, not just not just the guys and gals doing uh, the, the the ones and zeros in the technology, but who, who the business folks, and then really ultimately the consumers, right? So on the civilian side, it's 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 your citizens, and on on the defense side, it's it's the it's the soldiers, airmen, and women, uh, marines, uh, and sailors. And what about the chief data officers? That's a relatively new position, and now it's yeah. mandated, and most of the agencies have one. How do they relate to IT? and development? Because I think it varies from place to place. Yeah, Tom, I, I do think it absolutely varies. I think we've seen, you know, this concept of, uh, of chief data officer become, you know, very prominent, uh, certainly within the, uh, the government space and even within the private markets as well, right, in the commercial and industry spaces. But, you know, really looking at a way for organizations to have a defined data strategy, you know, really understand what their assets are, um, how can they enable secure and compliant access to that data? And then really, what are they doing to enable driving outcomes from that data? You know, we effectively see a lot of times now kind of the, the mission owners, if you will, whether it's the civilian or the defense space, partnering with the chief data officer around those two outcomes, particularly as you look at new technologies or emerging capabilities within government around machine learning and, and AI, really those disruptive types of things. And so... You know, I, I like to look at it as, you know, a way really that we're seeing this bridging of a gap between sort of traditional enterprise IT organizations and program delivery within the government. I think by and large, we've seen more and more success for digital transformation occur when there's a real partnership there, as opposed to, you know, kind of higher walls and moats around organizational constructs or uh, fiefdoms. And what about the data center people themselves? Because even though, as you mentioned, Blake, the cloud is essentially a business concept, a business approach uh, to having your computing infrastructure, when you do have hybrid with commercial cloud and data center, isn't that going to necessarily change the nature technically of your data center? Because you can't have separate architectures and separate instances of, of the same application, one for the one for the data center and one for the cloud. So do you find that the people operating those data centers may have a traditional kind of approach? Are they able to update themselves so that they become in effect operators of one instance of your cloud? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, cloud is, it's going to be an all hands on deck issue, right? You're, you're going to take this, these folks that were doing it one way, we're going to have to work with them and, 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 and change skill sets a little bit, right? So it's, it's going to be that evolution. And as you know, that hybrid, uh, you know, there's still going to be workloads on prem, and you're going to have to have that architecture work with your cloud. And so you're going to have to take that human capital that's doing that stuff today and just and train them and, and get them moving along, uh, you know, the curve of change that comes from these hyperscalers like Azure. I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, Microsoft and Azure puts out, you know, hundreds, if not maybe thousands of cloud services, new services a year. And, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to keep up with them. And that's, but that's a good thing, right? I mean, these things are coming out and they're, they're helping innovate. And so I think from a, from a human capital standpoint, people are always going to have to be learning. They're always going to have to have, you know, 10, 15, 20% of their year dedicated to, 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 to upskilling. I know I do, uh, and I still am not a subject matter expert in, you know, nearly everything that 
uh, you know, maybe 10% of the cloud, right? Uh, and so I think, you know, it, it, it's an opportunity for, for uh, everybody to, to, to kind of re, to keep skilling themselves up. And I think that that skill sets uh, is easily learned. And, you know, you're going to be able to take those folks that are doing that traditional uh, architecture on-prem and really turn it into a, a hybrid uh, solution pretty quickly. And time to retire everything you knew about 3270 protocol and get with the 21st century. And uh, that brings up the issue, too, though, that if you get dependent on these many services that cloud providers roll out every year, agencies necessarily worry about vendor lock-in. So is all of these good things, speed, agility, and low cost, and all the all the benefits of cloud and even hybrid cloud possible with multiple cloud vendors nowadays? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And I think, you know, the reality that we see from government customers is that all of them are embracing a, a multi-cloud strategy. And, you know, Blake highlighted there, there's elements of the multi-cloud strategy that I would argue are, are hybrid cloud as well. It's on-prem, multiple, you know, hyperscale cloud providers, and then an edge strategy. And so I think government agencies need all of these to effectively deliver on their mission. And, you know, there's a certain element of that that's you know, mitigating government service delivery risk, whether those are citizen services or whether those are things that are supporting, you know, soldiers, airmen and, and uh, naval officers as well, alike. You know, I think the other thing that, that comes to mind is that, you know, there's best of breed capabilities that each cloud provider uh, brings to market. And there's opportunities where, you know, a mission need could take advantage of those either from a speed point of view, a resiliency point of view, uh, or even an operations perspective, right? There's benefits that government agencies could take advantage of. And then we also see a lot of government agencies taking strategies to adopt interoperable technologies uh, to treat cloud service providers and platforms as, uh, you know, utility computing, right? The software defined nature of it can lend itself that way, you know, and the containerization of workloads um, and utilizing those types of technologies allows an amount of portability to be able to move across some of these cloud environments when uh, government needs dictated. And that's to be expected in this market. Yeah, do government agencies or the practitioners ever tell you, well, we need this service from you, Microsoft Azure, to be compatible or interoperable with XYZ Cloud's service, and then you'll make yeah. that happen? Absolutely, we do, right? We, we hear interoperability demands from our customers all the time, whether they are um, supporting open source technologies that are you know, prevalent both in on-prem environments as, as well as other cloud providers, or whether they are cloud native standards uh, such as CNCF, which you know, a lot of our services adhere to such that they could move those capabilities between cloud platforms. I think that's a reality of the market as well. All and right. something certainly at Microsoft, we're happy to, to provide to our customers. What are some of the other challenges you see agencies facing as they try to get deeper into the cloud and orient themselves in development toward the cloud? You know, it, it, some of the challenges I think are, you know, there's some acquisition challenges, but I, I think the, the big challenge, um, and agencies are getting a lot better at this, is, is having a strategy and a plan and making sure it's flexible, right? Uh, there, you know, the, the strategy has to have an actual approach to it as well, right? Test and fail quickly. Um, but you know, looking at how do you want to uh, have your entry point to the cloud, or if I'm going to refactor after I lift and shift, what happens then? Uh, what happens, you know, do we, do we have a plan in place to operate in the cloud and take advantage of cloud native services, serverless architecture? Um, you know, you know, the, the chief data officer is really looking at, you know, how do I, how do I uh, make my data the new oil and be extremely valuable, but, you know, hey, how, how 
how am I going to, what's my plan to be able to talk to different organizations about getting their data in the first place, right? So having that framework in place uh, and always testing that framework, you know, multiple times a year, I think is, is the key to a successful uh, journey inside the cloud. And how should agencies approach cloud deployments with cost control in mind? Because cloud services are not free and data egress can be expensive and movement and so forth can be in traffic adds up, they have to have the movement in order to have computing take place. But what's your best advice for helping them through this in such a way that they have maybe predictability of cost, and which I think maybe is just as important as total cost in some sense? I think, Tom, that's a, it's an interesting point to bring up. And I think maybe the first thing I would recommend, you know, all agencies do is, is partner with their cloud service provider. You know, I know Microsoft is not alone in this, but we are more than willing to help agencies understand what their workload might look like in the cloud and provide options, you know, through our architecture frameworks for them of paths that they can take to effectively balance, you know, cost and performance or cost and speed or cost and agility. You know, there's, I like to think of, you know, cloud work, workloads effectively as, you know, a balloon that you can squeeze and sort of, you know, you can control something in one section and let it expand and grow in, in another. The other thing I would say is that, you know, we provide a robust set of cost management and budgeting tools within Azure. Um, you know, so there's an effective way for government uh, agencies to get complete transparency in, into their spend um, and, to, and to learn to control that, you know, so it's important to have those governance uh, capabilities in place on the government side to effectively take care and, and take advantage of the tools and capabilities from the cloud service providers. So if they don't get a monthly tab with 10 million lines of, of uh, cost items that they have to sift through, but they get some kind of a dashboard approach to. Absolutely. Yep. And Blake, do you advise clients, federal clients to have one workload, say this cloud, and if you're and you, if you have a multiple cloud strategy, that workload with that cloud, or can even that be interoperable, the same workload in two different clouds? Yeah, I mean, I think it can be interoperable. You know, we, we, we stress, this, you know, if, if, if multi-cloud is their, uh, you know, the, the way they want to go, the defense side is, is, is definitely, uh, you know, a multi-cloud approach. The, the civilian side has a little, uh, wants to be a little bit more focused. But, you know, I think having them, you know, have that flexibility, be able to move back and forth. It, it, it's not necessarily a cost thing, although that may start out that way. It's more about how they can take the mission, the capability and bring it to the mission, right? Um, you know, there's an anecdote uh, with one of our Air Force customers. They built this, uh, this uh, capability in, in the cloud to track how air, airplanes refueled in the cloud and how they can route them faster. And they saved in two years, two or three years, $250 million worth of fuel costs. You, when you get that big a number for savings, because you created some algorithms in the cloud, you stop asking how much the infrastructure costs to make that happen. Right. That's a great point. And so, and so when, you know, when, when you, you, Azure and Microsoft does a great job about like reserved instances and savings plans. But I think when they start seeing that all the things that you can get out of the power of Azure, what that really, how that saves money and the speed to mission, the, 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 the cloud economics conversation changes. All right, Jason, final comment. No, I think the, the last point that, that Blake brought up there is, is a fantastic one. I think, you know, driving from the perspective of outcomes and the benefits that you're going to reap as a government agency is, is the right place to start. Uh, there's always levers that we can pull on the, on the government budgeting and cost efficiency side. 
All right. I'd like to thank today's guests for a great discussion. Blake Nelson is the Vice President of Platforms and Cloud at SAIC, and Jason Payne is the Chief Technology Officer at Microsoft Federal. I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search SAIC. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Accelerating the Path to Digital Government, sponsored by SAIC and Microsoft on Federal News Network.